Marini's Media. For the rest of this month, this month being September 2020, you can take out a subscription to The Athletic for the frankly ridiculous price of just £1 a month. That's unrivaled football writing and analysis from the very best people in the business, a brand spanking new breaking news service and ad-free versions of each Athletic podcast, all for just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash totally to get started. Totally Football Show today. Wales Golf, Seven Sisters, as Gareth Bale joins Spurs. Not the first golfer to try an old club to get his swing back, but will it work? Or will Jose soon be dusting off his Sheva Golf Swing mime routine? Elsewhere, it's Premier League Round 2. Return of the Manx, it is, as United and City make their debuts and Chelsea face Liverpool. Potential breaches of the touchline code ahoy as Frank takes on Klopp once more. We round up all the drama to come in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thanks for joining us today. We have uh, here for you broadcaster, analyst and former pro Adrian Clark. Uh, welcome back, Adrian. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, good to be back. Lovely stuff. All singing and dancing journalist and author Tom Williams is with us. Hey, Tom. Hey, James. All right. Quite restrained, that. And carbon-based manifestation of the data Ubermind, Duncan Alexander. Good day, James. Indeed. Since we last spoke, much has happened. Two games in the Premier League, Monday night. Wolves and Chelsea both coming away with victories. There was the League Cup uh, midweek action with a particularly brilliant shootout uh, between Bournemouth and Crystal Palace. And on the transfer front, Spurs doing business. Highly rated left-back Sergei Regulon. And it's a matter of minutes before Gareth Bale adds his signature and rejoins the club where he became a star. Wow, seven years he's been out of top-level English football and that will continue because he's joining Spurs. But how exciting is this to have him back in North London? Adrian, you're grinning broadly. <laughs> well, no, it's a grin slash grimace really because he's, he's, a, good, he's a good player and I think that, that Tottenham will we'll enjoy some, some more good moments from Gareth Bale moving forwards. I just don't know how often he's going to play because of his fitness issues. He's he's not been able to string a season together for a long time, let alone half a season together. He's had so many different problems with, with, with his muscles. So I think that might be a shock to the system, particularly given that he's not really played too much competitive football of late. So, so look, he's, he's, he's a really good player. We know that he, he he's not as good as he, he once was. He's well past his peak. He, we remember him, or Spurs fans remember him, scoring 20 goals a season, providing 10 to 15 assists. Those days have gone. They're not going to come back from, from Gareth Bale. But, um, wow. No, they're not going to. I mean, he's, he's, he's chipped in with, I think, an assist every... 700 and something minutes over the over the course of the last three seasons when he has played so so look he's he's not the player he used to be but uh, and I also feel they, they they probably need to strengthen other areas more than more than in his position well he, he used to be a left back didn't he could maybe <laughs> what about Duncan and Tom surely you guys are aflame with the excitement of this yeah I mean it's a marquee signing um, which is good I mean it feels like a kind of revival of the summer of 2013 because Bale obviously left then and Thiago was linked with Manchester United and didn't quite come off. So it's, it's almost like we've woken up from a from a fever dream. But um, I mean, I think Tottenham fans are, are wise enough to know they're not getting the same player back, as Adrian said. But I mean, 
to be honest, his last season at Spurs was an outlier anyway. He scored nine goals from outside the box that season, which is the most anyone's ever done in, uh, in a but single But that was without Kepper in the league, so just think what he could do now. Yeah, it's probably going to be 30 or 40 from long range uh, in one game. But um, if you remember that season, the points uh, they got from those goals, the 21 goals he scored were 24 points, which is, the I think, the fourth highest in Premier League history. And if you remember, there was that spell in the spring where... Tottenham won a succession of games like 1-0 or 2-1 and Gareth Bale basically just scored a last-minute winner in every game. Um, it was an incredible season. But, you know, football's moved on since then. Gareth Bale has has declined a bit. But it's still it's still an addition, isn't it, to Tottenham's attack. And let's be honest, they don't. Tottenham aren't blessed with the hundreds of attackers. So, uh, yeah, I yeah. think it's, he, uh, it's a good move. He's, he's an upgrade on Lucas Moore, isn't he, James? He'll probably play on the right. You can't see him displacing Son on the left. And obviously, he's a good plan B as well for Harry Kane should should he go down with an injury they've, they've lacked that backup haven't they to, to play a centre forward so Bale can can do that as well so no lots of positives for sure it's one assist every 670 minutes by the way over the last uh, three seasons so it's, it's not exactly prolific I think from Bale's perspective it would be good for him uh, just to play football again because he's become a laughing stock uh, the last couple of years and not only has he become a laughing stock, but he has he's been quite an enthusiastic participant in his own transformation into a laughing stock, certainly the last season. Um, and as a consequence, his broadly extremely successful spell at Real Madrid has ended up ending um, in a really unfortunate fashion. I mean, he's, he's Britain's most successful footballing export. If you look at the trophies he's won, um, he scored decisive goals in two Champions League finals, one of which was the best goal uh, one of the best goals ever scored in a Champions League final. There was that goal in his first Copa del Rey final. Uh, you know, he's outscored uh, the Brazilian Ronaldo. He's out-assisted uh, Zinedine Zidane in terms of his his contribution. And uh, it's unfortunate for him, not that he is blameless in, in that, but it's unfortunate that, that his spell at Madrid ended in the way it did. So, as Adrian says, it, it's hard to know how much we're going to see of him because quite apart from the fact that him and Zidane obviously didn't see eye to eye, his, his, um, he has struggled with injuries the last few seasons. But I think it will be good just to see him play more regularly. And, and if he can get any sort of rhythm going and, and score a few goals again, it, it will help to restore a reputation that, that's really been quite badly tarnished the last couple of years. Mm, good news for Wales, of course. Having seen him in action with, with Wales recently, Tom, uh, how far... Off the Gareth that we remember, do you think he is, actually? Yeah, I mean, I think one issue with Bale is that right from the start, uh, his his principal qualities were ath- athletic qualities. We all remember, you know, that, that, that famous game against Inter Milan at San Siro when he really broke onto the scene uh, in a big way, picking the ball up in the left-back position, charging down the pitch. And, and that's what he did, and, and, and that was his... You know that before he started pinging in shots from all over the pitch, that was what he was really renowned for, and he's obviously lost a, a bit of that. Um, but certainly with with Wales, um, you know when he's played, he, he's looked good. Um, in the most recent uh, Euro twenty twenty qualifying campaign, he was playing back out on the right, um, and I think that's a position that suits him quite well. I suspect that's probably where he'll he'll play most of his football at, at Tottenham, assuming the, the move actually goes through. So. Yeah, he's he's lost that explosivity, um, but he has not he hasn't lost his ability to strike a ball, and I think that that sort of top level trophy winning know how will probably be quite useful behind the scenes as well. Okay, Paul Overdriver says, how do you think Bale fits tactically with Mourinho? I know you've touched about where he might play on the pitch, but 
it's it's not a Mourinho signing, but is it one that Jose will be delighted to have after their disappointing opening day result? I think so. Yeah, I think it'll fit in OK. I mean, he likes to play on the counter-attack, doesn't he, Jose? And, and Bale, we know he travels with the ball really well, albeit not, not as rapidly as he used to. Used to. I think he will play on the, on the right-hand side, as I said before, but, but he's a good backup option to Harry Kane if he needs a, a breather. And he doesn't get very many breathers, does he, Harry Kane? So, so it'll be an interesting dynamic. My, my issue with Spurs, apart from the fact that that their centre half partnership looks looks iffy, is is a lack of creativity. I still don't think they've replaced Christian Eriksen's guile, and and this signing won't won't really remedy that problem. So so in a way, I just feel that Spurs are very reliant on the front three making things happen on counters. In general play, when they have possession, I'm I'm not that convinced by this Tottenham team. Well, it worked to write that model for Liverpool, I suppose. The only thing you can say is that you, there's loads of arguments you can make about, yeah, it's possibly a bit of a, uh, you know, like a marquee signing for, for the sake of it and all that. But A marquee-ting signing. <laughs> but um, ultimately, <laughs> football is about creating excitement and, mm. you know, Tottenham fans will be, will be very excited about having Gareth Bale back and ultimately we, we watch football because we want to see big players and, and good stuff and he's got the potential to do that. Yeah. Brilliant. All right, well, uh, Spurs will be taking their big players doing big things to St Mary's to take on Gareth's old club, old, old club, uh, Southampton this weekend. Not sure if he will be signed up and paperwork filed in time for him to feature in that, but Reguillon should be available for that. And he does look very, very tasty. Duncan? Just remember Gareth Bell did the weakest muted celebration I've ever seen, scoring for Spurs at Southampton once, where he he did his heart celebration, but in a really kind of like limp <laughs> way. So almost like, well... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm contractually entitled to do it, but I'm just not going to. So. Right. Well, with a whole load of really exciting fixtures coming up in what is match day two of this Premier League season, let's start our roundup at the Bridge and Chelsea Liverpool. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. <laughs> Frank Lampard having a full and frank discussion there with Jurgen Klopp earlier this summer on the occasion of Chelsea and Liverpool's last meeting. It was a 5-3 defeat for the Londoners. Lampard, though, the moral victor because, as he put it, Klopp and his staff broke the touchline code. Adrian, you played the game. What is the code? <laughs> well, I spent a lot of time on benches. Is that what you're trying to say? I mean, is no, that where you're going with this? You can yeah. tell us. What's yeah. the code? <laughs> well, there is, I don't think there's a code as such, but I think what Frank was referring to is let the two gaffers sort it out. You're going to have disagreements. This manager's going to claim this foul. That manager's going to moan about it. Sort it out between yourselves. Don't let your number twos or your, your other staff pipe up and get involved because then it just gets a bit messy. And I think that's what that was what Frank was so upset about. Um, Jürgen's number two was getting a bit chirpy, shall we say. And, and, and Frank took exception to it. I've got to say, I thought he was a bit precious in that row. He, he went a little bit over the top. It, it, it struck me that he just wanted to flex his muscles and show that he was a big boy. He can handle himself in in the world of management. I'm not going to sort of bow down to you, Jürgen. And, 
And well, uh, also, his number two is uh, Jody Morris, who <laughs> yeah. is not averse to going on Twitter <laughs> and true. firing out a few tweets. So. That's true. I've, I've felt the wrath of, of Frank myself, actually, back in the Did day. Uh, yeah, he, he, he had a rant at me. I, I tripped up Rio Ferdinand in a pre-season friendly, and it just went disproportionately over the top and uh, sort of in my face, sort of looking to shove me and, and whatnot, and was just... Saying what kind it's of thing did he say, Adrian? He said, well, I remember it really clearly. He goes, jealousy, Rio. It's jealousy. That's what it is. It's jealousy. It's jealousy, Rio. I'm like, what are you talking Classic. about? I've just tripped him up. Like, I tripped him up. It's no big deal. It's jealousy, Rio. Leave it. Leave it. And I'm, it was just, he's clearly a very nice guy, Frank Lampard. He's, he's intelligent. Um, I think he's a, he's a great, I'm sure he's a great husband to Christine and whatnot. But he's got Crikey. this side, he's got this side to him. That that he he can be um, pretty mouthy and, um, and I he didn't was... say it in uh, he didn't say it in Latin, did he? Famous has <laughs> got a Latin GCSE. <laughs> that would have been. He didn't. Well, that would, yeah, I'd have I'd have had more respect for him if he'd have done so. Um, but yeah, no, it's stuck in stuck in the memory. Obviously, yeah, he was a, he was a young only a young lad at West Ham at the time, and he was very very confident in his own opinion and. Clearly, that's still the case. It's one of those. I think he's flexing his muscles and, right. and just just showing Jurgen that that he can handle himself. What's the worst thing anyone's ever said to you on the pitch, Adrian? <laughs> From the other team? I, I yeah, I don't know. There's one that stands out. I said to this player, this big centre half, big lad, are you? Big lad, and he was a big lad because he he'd, he'd fouled one of our one of our players. He and Selly, it was. Oh, big lad, are you? Big lad, like that. And he goes. He goes, mate, he looked me in the eye, he goes, I've had bigger sh than you. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I'll see you in the car park. <laughs> and, and basically, I just, I, I was a very scared man for the rest of the game. And, 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 and I contemplated leaving the ground in, in the skip. Um, but, but I snuck out and all, all was well. But uh, yeah, but these kind of things happen. Um, so yeah, I, I, prob- I was probably asking for it. Wow, Adrian, that's extraordinary. Listeners can now go onto soccer base and try and work out who that big man was. <laughs> looking at a list of uh, Adrian's games. So, um, in amongst all of that, Chelsea are taking on Liverpool this this weekend, and as I mentioned, it was five three to Liverpool back in July. This was the game, Duncan. I'm sure you remember where the Chelsea defenders were left screaming, "Oh, Kepa, no!" Mm, I think we said at the time that it was reminiscent of Platoon. They were like, Kepa! Because he should have come for a cross and just and just left it. And uh, luckily, Kepa's come on leaps and bounds since then. Um, oh, no way. So, uh, yeah. Well, we'll have David Priest's view on Kepa and what he got up to against Brighton on Monday very, very shortly. But while that's one cause for concern, uh, his ongoing problems with shots from range, another is the fact that uh, Brighton were able to get in behind on, on Monday at Chelsea's back line with relative ease. Had they had any kind of finisher on field, it might have been a very different scoreline than the 3-1 victory which Chelsea came away with, Tom. Yeah, and this has been a recurring issue for Chelsea ever since Frank Lampard took over. He has an idea of the kind of football he wants them to play. He wants them to be aggressive and to press and, and to play high up the pitch, but it, it makes them so exposed uh, at the other end of the pitch. And I think you can draw a contrast between what he's trying to do and what Mikel Arteta's trying to do at Arsenal. I think Arteta's been much more successful in, in trying to refashion Arsenal in his own image. In that, you know, Within weeks, you could see what he was trying to do. There was cohesion to Arsenal's pressing. There was cohesion to the way they moved up and down the field. They've even got a trademark 
Arteta goal where they work it down the right hand side and then switch it to the left and there's a real sense of identity and everyone knowing what they're doing and I don't think Chelsea ever got there last season and, and now they find themselves on the threshold of a new season and not only are they still looking for an identity but they've got all these new players that they have to try and integrate into the starting eleven. Um Kai Havertz was was quite disappointing. Okay, it was his first run out. He's in a slightly peculiar right side of midfield position. Timo Werner got in behind a couple of times, won the penalty. But obviously, it'll take him a bit more time to really find his feet. And we're still waiting for Ziyech and, and Thiago Silva and, and all the rest of them to come into the team. So they, they do still feel like a work in progress, Chelsea. And the victory over Brighton, which owed an awful lot to that spectacular goal by Rhys James felt similar to some of the wins they got last season where you, you sort of watch them you couldn't really tell what they were what they were trying to do but you trusted in the fact that someone from somewhere would pull something out of the bag and that would be enough to get them over the line mm. Tim Werner will be facing here the club that many people thought he was going to be joining the club who uh, instead in terms of a big signing this summer appear to be uh, wrapping up a deal for Thiago Alcantara Tom what did Liverpool look like with Thiago in the middle he will make them even more watchable than they were last season because he's one of those players who is just a dream to watch. Everything that he does, the way he moves the ball around, the way that he sort of deliberately exaggerates the follow-through on every single pass he ever plays. Um, I just think he's an absolute delight to watch as a footballer. And what he'll give Liverpool is something that they have been lacking these, these last few seasons. There's a bit of craft and guile in central areas. Uh, we know how dependent they are on the front three, how dependent they are on the full-backs. And there have been times, you know, particularly in, in the slightly disappointing run of results that they've had since, well, I guess since that defeat at Watford, where you've looked at that midfield and thought there's, there's not really much happening there in terms of creativity. Uh, I mean, Thiago's not going to solve that all on his own, but he just, he just gives passing angles. He gives a sort of tempo in that part of the pitch that Liverpool don't currently have. Um, and he, just a sensational footballer to watch as well. Yeah. I also think, James, that it's just good for any dressing room to have somebody new, a fresh face, particularly a stellar signing, someone everyone knows already. It just keeps people on their toes. I think Liverpool had to had to get this deal over the line because of the reasons Tom outlined for what he'll bring to the team, but also for for the sense that we're not standing still. We're we're, we're moving forward. We've got higher aspirations. Even we're, than we're what attacking the title. Mm. Well, also, Klopp's proved quite good at, at changing it up season on season. You know, two seasons ago, he started the season playing Salah up front as a central striker. Um, you know, he changed very much from kind of, uh, you know, a lot of pressing when he first came to sort of using it more sparingly. Um, and I think he realises that you can't just have the same blueprint season on season. You know, um, teams are going to work out how to how to stop the fullbacks. Um, in fact, they have in a few games. So, you know, Thiago is just a much better option to, to switch it up now. Can I just say, in terms of this game, uh, I think that, that Werner showed enough in that first match that he will he will cause Liverpool problems. I thought he looked really, really sharp. And with Liverpool's high line, I just feel that he could be the perfect person to expose it if Chelsea can can find him early enough. He'll play on the shoulder of, of Gomez probably and, and look to run in behind him. I, I really can see him hurting them in the game. I looked at, I went through his, his show reel, as you do, um, on the on the interweb, and twelve of his twenty-eight goals for Leipzig in the Bundesliga last season came from one v ones pretty much, from balls played through for him to run onto. Uh, and four times he went around the keeper. So so he, he, that's his trademark. And I, I can see, in light of what Leeds did to Liverpool, I can, I can see him causing them issues. 
just on that as well, I think he's facing a, a defence that's not looking great, as we saw against Leeds, but also the goalkeeping issue. Everyone's going to focus on Kepa, but I think Alisson is probably equally out of form since uh, football restarted. Um, since lockdown, Kepa's faced 31 shots on target um, and only made 15 saves, which isn't ideal. But Alisson's faced 28 shots on target and only made 13 saves. So um, kind of slightly under the radar, but yeah, Alisson uh, is another goalkeeper who needs to find a bit of form. Yeah, I was just going to say briefly on, on Kepa, I'm sure David Priest will, will probably touch on this himself, but I, I feel like we've got to a position with Kepa where every single time he lets a goal in, he gets blamed for it. And I think it speaks to the fact that all of us who talk about football or write about football for a living, unless unless we have specific goalkeeper knowledge, you don't always know whether a goalkeeper's to blame. But it's quite a convenient, you know, it's quite easy to blame a goalkeeper because you know what their job is they shouldn't let goals in. So when they let goals and you think, well, he shouldn't have let that goal in. But I remember Gary Neville saying last season, he was asked a question about an underperforming goalkeeper. And he said, I don't know, to be honest, whether he should have saved that because it's not something I've ever looked at. And it reminds me a little bit of things that have happened in recent seasons with like when Joe Hart was under the cosh for a bit with England, when Claudio Bravo was under the cosh a bit with City. Sometimes they made mistakes. Sometimes they let goals in that most goalkeepers would let in, but because they were having a bit of a difficult time and because when you're writing a match report, you very quickly need to identify your heroes and villains, it's quite easy to just say, yeah, should have saved it. Well, Gary Neville and his colleague Jamie Carragher were pretty scathing about Kepa this Monday after the performance away at Brighton. So how about after this, we talk to a man who does have some expert knowledge in this field, Osterson's goalkeeping coach, David Priest. This season, the Premier League's going to be a little bit different. But at Paddy Power, we're trying to embrace the new normal by looking at the upside. Avoid unnecessary journeys? That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate? Some midfielders do that very effectively. Avoid European travel. Shouldn't be a problem for Everton fans. When you think about it, not that much has changed, really. New normal, same old football. That's why we're giving customers a completely free £5 bet on Chelsea v Liverpool this Sunday. Paddy Power. On an exclusive, new customers must deposit one bet per customer. Opt-in required. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. They're brilliant at getting top prices themselves. And as I said, they very rarely get done. They've been done. <laughs> I know what I mean. It's uh, seven, you can't, he's, uh, he's never a £70 million goalkeeper. Look, he's never. You will not win a league with a goalkeeper who is letting goals in from outside his box, doesn't dominate his area, concede goal from set pieces. It isn't going to happen. Keepers. Such a mysterious field, isn't it? Well, luckily enough, goalkeeping coach at Gravity Defying Allsvenskan side, Ostersons, David Priest, joined us a little bit earlier on his way to training this morning. David Priest joins us now to talk keepers all the way from Sweden. How is Sweden, David? Yeah, everything's going well. Um, we're, we're 12 matches into a new manager here at, uh, at Ostersons and uh, only one defeat in 12 games, so it's, uh, it's been a positive start for them. And the, the dark clouds that were hovering over the club, have they lifted a bit? <sighs> yeah, I mean, results, they, they take a lot of that, uh, a lot of those pressures away, but, you know, there's still, uh, still a lot of instability at the club, but it's, um, yeah, things are a lot brighter now and uh, the, the club's a little bit more stable behind the scenes. Excellent. Let's ask you about some of the big goalkeeping questions that are troubling us right now. Questions like, Emi Martinez and the move to Villa. Have Arsenal made a mistake with that? Cara and Gary Neville on Monday on Sky announcing that Chelsea can't win with Kepa. And what's Solskjaer to do with his big Henderson-David De Gea 
a decision this weekend. First off, Martinez, who, as Duncan Alexander points out, has a much better shots on target face saves ratio than either of the two most expensive keepers in the world. Have Arsenal made a mistake? I think possibly in the, in the long term, you know, when it, it comes to uh, Bernardo coming back from from his injury, which is, is quite serious, you know, it's a pose a big risk to leave themselves open. Uh, you know, depending on who they bring in to replace Martinez, but. At 28 years old, you know, you're looking at tens of games that he's played at first team level rather than hundreds, which he should do. It he should have been looking at sort of at, at this age and in this time of his career. So it's for for Arsenal, yeah. As long as they replace him, then it's not a huge risk for them losing him. But for for Aston Villa, I think that the outlay was at 20 million pounds. I still think. Um, it's he's still unproven even at his age, and you know, and regardless of how you look at his performances, and and he's performed very well and and, and consistently well in, in the games that he's played. Going to Aston Villa, a team where you, you're not expecting them to be great shakes in the Premier League this year, he's going to be under a lot of pressure. There's going to be times in the season when the team isn't performing and and, um, and perhaps he isn't performing. It's how he handles and deals with that situation. And for me, that's the, the big question mark at the moment. Is it fair to say that Kepa is going through his difficult patch at the moment, uh, but that you feel that some of the criticism levelled at this man who has conceded nine goals in the last 13 shots he's faced and conceded more goals from outside the area in the last two seasons than absolutely anybody, despite costing £70 million, that some of that criticism is unjustified? I think it is. I mean, I've looked at, um, you know, a wrote a piece of the eye paper couple of months back and, um, and I've took a long look at him the last few days since uh, since that game against Brighton and when I look at a lot of his game there's a lot right there you know I'm a big fan of his uh, passing ability he's got a great right foot he's got a great feel for for his mid-range passes you know dropping into full backs and into um, forwards that that goal from Trossard the weekend was far from a routine save um, and it's okay saying that all well the very top keepers the you know, your all blacks and people like that they, they they would deal with that shot, but I think that also that um, he's not at that level yet, and we can't put that expectation on him just because he's a seventy million pound goalkeeper. You have to look at him for the the base factor of his goalkeeping, and uh, he's not making the difference at the moment. And every action he takes, every decision he takes, he's thinking over it. He's not in a in game flow. And it needs to get to that point. And the only way to get to that point is through hard work, you know, minimising the, these errors. To the untutored eye, and I have two of them, um, the goal scored by Trossard looked very savable. But from your point of view, why was it not a routine save? Well, I mean, it's simply because, the, it, one, the, if you look at the trajectory of the shot, it's not a trajectory that's where you can... You can predict where it's going. You know, if you look at if you stop the ball halfway between Trossard and and and, and Kepper, it's at head height, and from there on the dip's vicious. And at that point, Kepper's already he's made his decision to uh, to push off, and from that point, he's you know he's he's maybe thinking it's going to be shoulder mid height level, and that's what he's going for. And so he's got to adjust in in mid height now. It's not an easy thing to do, and and going uh, the the shot going across you and it's dipping, you know you've got to get everything absolutely perfect. And one thing that you can always say about him is that his physicality, you know, his physical uh, attributes, 
you know, don't help him because he's not that six foot four, six foot five goalkeeper where, you know, his arm span's going to get him out of trouble. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, you know, like I said, uh, from my point of view, I don't think it was far from a routine save. Okay, fair enough. One last thing then, David, then off you go to training. Um, if you were Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who would you pick between Henderson and De Gea this weekend and why? I'd still go with David De Gea um, and it's his shirt to lose. We talk about the, the mental challenge that the Kepa's facing now. It's a different one for um, for David De Gea. It's something he hasn't faced since he, he first came in, really. He came in with Anders Lindegaard at the same time and they, they were chopping and changing for a, 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 you know, a couple of times in that first season. And I think that uh, he overcame that. Now he's got to look at this in the same way, the same challenge, and, uh, and he's got to rise to it. Brilliant stuff, David. All right, well, listen, I hope you rise to all your challenges there with Ostersunds and look forward to catching up with you soon. Cheers, James. David Priest. Always nice to hear from him. Duncan. Um, I'm going to slightly disagree with him on Kepa, just in, and Tom beforehand, actually, because although, you know, it is every shot is different and, and all that, you know, you can look at metrics like expected goals and see the fact that basically Kepa last season uh, underperformed by about 10 goals. So the average keeper facing the shots, Kepa would have saved um, about, you know, 10 more goals than Kepa did. So, I mean, that is definitely an underperformance. And similarly, David De Gea in seventeen eighteen saved an additional 14 goals. Everyone remembers that season when he was basically, you know, almost mystical in the way he could stop, stop shots. And, um, I think a lot of the so-called slump of De Gea since then isn't really a slump. It's just him returning to average. You know, he wasn't that bad the last couple of seasons. Um, and that's why I agree with David that I think he will keep the, the shirt at Manchester United. And the other thing is Dean Henderson at Sheffield United was, you know, a good keeper, but he played a very different sort of football. He didn't take a goal kick um, within his own penalty area all season last year, um, whereas De Gea was the most in the Premier League at that. So, you know, that's a massive part of goalkeeping now. And to put Henderson in would be a massive stylistic shift for, for United. Interesting. United, who returned to action in the Premier League uh, this weekend, Saturday at 5.30, they're going to be hosting Crystal Palace. City are back as well, of course, as are Burnley and Aston Villa. City are at Wolves. On Monday, Burnley and Villa will get on to their games a little bit later on. But Man United against Crystal Palace. Who has high hopes for this one? And what kind of uh, hopes are they? Well, it should be an interesting game because Palace went there last year and, and beat them, didn't they? Mm. Uh, on the counter-attack, had hardly any of the ball, but but sucker punched them. And, and they'll look to do that again. They had hardly any of the ball against Southampton, did they? Last weekend and managed to win. I thought Zaha looked really sharp actually in, in that game. So he'll he'll go there in in good mood. It's hard to tell, isn't it, where, where Manchester United are? No real pre-season form to to, to gauge them on. Um, Greenwood will will he feature? We know he's sat on the naughty step for much of this week. Will, will he be? Given the nod, and will he be fueled to go and to go and deliver? And and Donny Donny Van der Beek as well. It's it's it'd be interesting. I mean, I, I can't see how him, Pogba, and Fernandez are all going to fit into this team if they stick with a front three. So so yeah, I think the team sheet might be really interesting. Mm. Maybe more interesting than the game itself, which I, I think Manchester United might might win at a canter actually. I mean, we can probably expect a penalty, I would say. I mean, Crystal Palace are statistically the team most likely to get penalty in Premier League history, and Manchester United are the current um, penalty-winning machines. They've 
14% of United's penalties in Premier League history have come under Solskjaer. He's got 21 in 59 games. Compare that to Mourinho with 12 in 93 and Van Gaal with 8 in 76, which is possibly a hint uh, as to how these managers approach games a little bit. But even so, yeah, there's going to be a spot kick. That sounds a fair shout, Duncan. Uh, 22 meetings these two teams have had. The only time Man United have ever lost against Palace was that game last season. Wilfred Zahar, of course, getting the goal for the Eagles last weekend against Southampton, who I had possession in the 70, 70%, 75% or so. Of course, Wilfred Zahar with a rich history of playing well at Old Trafford, eh, Tom? That's where his career went off the rails a bit. Yeah, and it happened so long ago that you almost forget. You know, I, I don't feel like it's it's sort of like a a stain on his career in the way it might have been for other young players who went somewhere for big bucks and then and then flopped. He was sort of Alex Ferguson's last folly, wasn't he? Really, in that he was, um, you know, the kind of tricksy winger who Ferguson would always make room for in his squad and and who who ultimately things didn't work out for. Um, coming off the back of a slightly difficult season in that, you know, he didn't he didn't score the goals he'd scored in the previous season for Palace. And I think as we saw in that Southampton game, they do need Zaha to be scoring goals because they don't have much of um, a goal supply if, if he isn't finding the back of the net. Um, and yeah, it, it was a real sort of smash and grab that, that Southampton win. But... Yeah, you know, good for him to get off the mark. And I think if if Palace are going to stay clear of trouble again this season, they'll need him to they'll need him to be finding the net on a regular basis. I think it feels like if Pointless ever did a name a player to play for three different Premier League teams, Wilf Sahar would be a, a good answer because people forget the United spell and they also forget he played twelve games for Cardiff in the Premier League as well. So ah, there you go. There's a pointer. I'd completely forgotten that. I have to say, confession time. Where's he going to end up, by the way, Zaha? Because it feels like Crystal he's, Palace. He's going to play out of his skin to get. But but Palace, uh, they've signed SA. They're yeah. they're reportedly in for Bright Samuel, who's a that sort of player as well, Saeed Ben Rama as well. Either Palace are going to be the most exciting team to watch in the, in the Premier League all of a sudden, or or they're just lining up people to to fill in for Wilf Sahar. I, I just still can't see that that sort of logical destination for mm. Wilf. It's it's a strange one, really. Can you imagine there were three of Zaha, Eze, and Ben Rama? Yeah. It would be <laughs> sensational. <laughs> all all supplying uh, passes for Christian Benteke to blaze Managed into Rosa. <laughs> it, it could happen this week this weekend at Old Trafford. Midweek, by the way, Palace were involved in a pretty exciting 24-kick penalty shootout in the League Cup against Bournemouth. Palace, who were wearing an absolutely lovely kit, I don't know if you saw this, it was white with three vertical stripes, red, white and blue, or actually two, thinking better. But anyway, it looked gorgeous. Anyway, uh, all 10 outfield players scored in, in the shootout, which meant that then both goalkeepers stepped up to take one, Begovic and Hennessy. They, they'd asked who was ready to take a penalty. Hennessy's hand went straight up. Uh, Hennessy saved from Begovic, giving himself the chance to then win it. But, oh, my word, he skied it. David Brooks then scored, and it came down to Luka Milovojevic, of all people, who missed the penalty specialist. And the Cherries go through to face Man City. I found myself watching that and wondering whether we're getting closer to a point where penalty shootouts all end up looking like that. Because, inevitably, players are getting better at taking penalties now that every single player on the pitch is comfortable with the ball at their feet and fancies themselves as a bit of a footballer, I can see these sorts of penalty shootout becoming more and more of a thing. Like even even you know even in recent seasons, you know Champions League or big international tournaments, 
they're very rare that you know you get a shootout where not a single player on one team finds the net. I suppose my fear is that players are getting too good at penalties, um, and so we're you know kind of ruining penalty shootouts forever. This one wasn't ruined though, Tom. It was really exciting. No, it was really exciting because it felt like a bit of an outlier because mm. um, it's still quite unusual to have so many penalties. But if that becomes the norm, what if penalty shootouts start lasting longer than the match itself? You know, this is the future that I fear we may be heading towards. Smaller keepers. There you go. A penalty shootout theoretically could last forever. You could get players, you could be like five days into a penalty shootout and players are, you know, they're crying, they're, they've lost all the fluid in their body, they're crawling up to take penalties, but it could happen. Maybe it will. <laughs> uh, midweek in the Cup. Well, there are three games still to be played, but the big headlines were the Bournemouth-Crystal uh, Palace game and Leeds and Saints getting knocked out. Saints, who named a pretty much unchanged lineup against Brentford, but got defeated. Leeds, who made 11 changes and were knocked out by League One Hull. Interestingly, in the draw for the third round, which is uh, next week, apparently, uh, League Two Leighton Orient, who came from behind to beat Plymouth Argyle, uh, will be taking on Harry Kane's uh, Tottenham Hotspur. They're obviously Gareth Bale's Tottenham Hotspur now, but, but Harry Kane's Tottenham in this case because he actually, back in May, sponsored Leighton Orient's jerseys with a message of support for key workers. That's a fascinating detail, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Are you suggesting that he'll be in some way compromised in this game by that? I suppose so. If he scores, will he celebrate? Well, you'd hope not. Yeah. I predict that Harry Kane won't play in this game, by the way. I, th- I think given that... The, ah. the, yeah, I mean, it's unlikely, isn't it? Mm, yeah, fair. By the way, the winner of this season's League Cup will not qualify for the Europa League, as they have in past editions. Instead, do you know where they're going to go? Oh, the new one. The U- <laughs> UEFA Europa Conference the, League. The North Sea Trophy, or whatever it's going to be called. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe Harry Kane will be playing, eh? That's up the stakes a little bit more. That that had passed me by. That's a really underwhelming reward yeah. for winning a trophy because mm. the UEFA Conference League is for all the minnows, isn't it? Man City win it every year as well. So it does, it's a bit of a moot point. All right. Do you think that Palace are going to buck the statistical trend and get another result away at Old Trafford? Or are Man United going to get underway with a resounding win? Tom? I think United will win. Um, Had an extra week to prepare. Obviously hit that great bit of form at the end of last season. Um, Question mark about whether Paul Pogba is going to be able to play after he went down with COVID-19. But apart from that, I think they'll be able to put out a pretty strong team. So we might actually see Donny van der Beek in the starting eleven. So yeah, I think this home win for me. Thank you, Tom. Man City, meanwhile, will be beginning their campaign at Wolves. Uh, that game coming up on Monday. Wolves, of course, did the double over Pep Guardiola's side last season. We'll preview that game and the other Monday clash, Aston Villa against Sheffield United, uh, in Monday morning's show. Next up, we'll look at some more of this weekend's games. Listeners, how's your hairline doing in this fine year of 2020? Well, despite being from a long line of follically challenged males, I am, at the age of 40, still blessed with a full head of hair with no need for a Jack Charlton comb-over or any evidence of a looming Attilio Lombardo situation up top. Now, some of you may not be so lucky and some of you may not wish to rock the look that our very own James Richardson has perfected over the last two decades. 
So that's where HIMS comes in. HIMS provides an easy to use, trustworthy and science-backed service for men suffering from hair loss, helping men to be the very best versions of themselves by connecting them with licensed healthcare providers to help with hair loss problems. With HIMS, there are no more awkward in-person doctor visits or hushed conversations at the pharmacy. You get a proper online appointment and some sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. All you have to do is head to 4hims.co.uk slash athletic to start your free consultation today and check out the full details and all their safety information. That's 4hims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.co.uk slash athletic. One more time, 4hims.co.uk slash athletic. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. That was I Don't Want You Back by Eamon. Number one, the last time Ellen Road hosted Premier League football. It was the 8th of May 2004. They were up against Charlton. They drew 3-3. This Saturday, they'll be hosting Fulham. By the way, what future podcast will be playing as number one on the first home game back in the Premier League? Do you know? What's number one right now? <laughs> not not a Scooby from, from me. I don't know. Right. It's WAP by Cardi B. Oh. Controversial song. I'd forgotten all about that Eamon song. Right. Um, so it was a bit of a trip down memory lane to watch nice. the video, which is so aggressively early noughties. Mm. You can't really watch it for more than about 30 seconds. I also noticed that, interestingly, the um, the concluding line of the chorus, uh, which I'm sure we all remember, you, you ho, I don't want you back. Uh, right. A turn of phrase uh, worthy of Lennon and McCartney. Um, it's slightly contradictory because the follow-up song from that album was called I Love Them Hoes. Right. So he he kind of needs to make his Plural mind up, really. Plural and singular, though, isn't it? Oh, um, yeah, I don't know. Was he just a gardening enthusiast who was keen on hydrating? He worked at B&Q, and they were like, you've got to work on the topsoil section. He's like, I just love the hose, to be honest. Cardi B's video is quite aggressive as well, as you're probably aware. Uh, on an unrelated note, will Fulham be going down this season? The... the uh, Chances are high after uh, their opening day performance. And, and this, a game against a lead side who looked on fire while not actually winning the game last weekend, could be a dangerous one uh, for Scott Parker's outfit. What, what, what are your expectations here, Adrian? Yeah, my expectations would, would be a Leeds win. Um, I, yeah, I really love their adventure at Anfield. It's such a brave performance. Um, questionable at the back. Obviously, they're missing Ben White, who's gone back to Brighton, and and, and Cooper was unavailable. So, so two new centre backs. I think is a slight issue for them. But um, but yeah, th- this fixture was actually played earlier on in the in the summer post lockdown, and, and and Leeds won it three 0 In that game, though, I remember it well. F- Fulham dominated the first half. They caused them all sorts of problems. Couldn't score, and then Bielsa made a couple of really smart changes at half time, and Leeds Leeds ran away with it. For me, Bielsa he's on a different level to Scott Parker. 
in terms of his coaching ability. I mean, that's a, it's a pretty obvious thing to say. But Scott Parker did just get Fulham promoted. It's it's that shouldn't Bielsa's be. Bielsa's never done a McDonald's advert. To be that's fair, true, so. and he, he doesn't wear the the, the, the type in with anywhere he, near as much applause. He did as... sit in a McDonald's famously <laughs> after Olympic Marseille had a massive win in Ligue 1. Tom, you'll probably remember this. That he was then discovered sitting at a booth post game. Yes, it was very Bielsa, isn't it, to just to pop up in the most mundane places when you least expect him. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's great, isn't he? He's just, yeah, I just think he's um, tactically he's on a different sort of plane to to Scott Parker. The, the, yeah, they were quite fortunate to to come up, I think, Fulham, and and I would expect them to be in the in the bottom three. He's a cautious coach, Parker by nature, and yeah, that that will be the theme going forward this season. That they'll try and be hard to beat, but as Arsenal sort of showed last weekend, that. Just player for player, I don't think they they match up too well against against the majority of Premier League outfits. So yeah, for me, Leeds will win this one. I also it feels very much like a kind of um, Bamford v Mitrovic in the can they actually do it at Premier League level Clasico uh, matchup? <laughs> because I mean, obviously Bamford scored last week, which was a good start, but you know underperformed on XG significantly last season. Um, and Mitrovic, last time he was in the Premier League, you know, had the second most shots, but didn't often convert those into goals or enough anyway. So and and was benched last week, so you'd expect him to come back in. So yeah, interesting to see. You know, obviously uh, Leeds have signed uh, Rodrigo as well, but for promoted teams, goals is the holy grail, isn't it? Let's move on to the Emirates, where Saturday night at eight o'clock, prime time, Arsenal against West Ham. Arsenal bouncing along, of course, after their three nil. Opening day win over Fulham. West Ham, meantime, having a rotten time of it. Tom, there's a reunion here because it was David Moyes who brought Mikel Arteta uh, to the Premier League when he signed him for Everton almost 16 years ago. Yeah, and and now they're reunited with um, Arteta uh, in the process of of eclipsing him as a a top-level manager. Arteta, as I was saying earlier, really feels like the, the coming man in terms of the the young managers in in the Premier League and, and David Moyes, you know, probably as he has done for a, a, a few years now, does feel a little bit like one of uh, the many yesterday's men in the top flight. And I, I think you know one of the issues that West Ham have, and I feel like we say this about them every season, is it's not that there isn't talent in their squad. You know, there are some really good players there. Um, you know, you just saw some of the players who came off the bench um, against Newcastle, but there's just no sense of a collective there's no sense of a, a team where everyone knows what they're doing and, and people have got clearly defined roles um, you know there's the uncertainty about Declan Rice's future that, that rumbles on and, and meanwhile as you said Arsenal showed fantastic form in that opener against Fulham um, almost the complete opposite in terms of a, a team where everyone's role is clearly defined and a team where you know everyone seems to really be enjoying themselves so the the stars would be a lot appear to be aligning for a, a convincing Arsenal one. Right, with uh, Pierre-Emery Aubameyang, who has now finally signed his new contract, which should keep him at uh, Arsenal until 2023. 72 goals in 111 appearances, uh, eight in his last six in all competitions. By the way, what have Graeme Souness, Peter Reid, Alan Pardew, Alan Kerbishy, Phil Brown, Gary McAllister, Michael Laudrup, Paul Lambert, Gary Monk, Walter Mazzari and Graham Potter all got in common that David Moyes doesn't? They've all won league games at Arsenal, um, and he hasn't. In 16 attempts. Well, this is Moyes' 60th Premier League away game at one of the old Big Four, 
Mm -hmm. um, and he's never won. I mean, he managed one of the big four during that spell, which is, you know... To but he always wins, doesn't he? Moyes says, that's what I that's do, what, I win. That's what I do, I win. Brackets not away at the big four, but people <laughs> tailed off before then. But no, he, um, since he started trying to win away at the big four, um, seven of the eight Fast and Furious films have come out. Um, possibly Moyes' football is too fast and too furious, but... Um, you know, six is a nice round number, so maybe this will be the moment that he gets uh, gets an away win. <laughs> Can you see it happening? No. OK. Also this weekend, the early kickoff is Everton against West Brom. That's uh, lunchtime, 12.30 Saturday. Sunday lunchtime, or at two anyway, it's Newcastle-Brighton. Sunday at seven, Leicester-Burnley. Newcastle-Brighton, do you know that Newcastle have played Brighton six times in the Premier League? They've never won. They've failed to score at all. In five of those six clashes, can you see that continuing this weekend? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a goal fest, is it? Yeah, the, these two sides um, don't tend to score many when they when they face each other. That said, I, I think Newcastle have become a much more attack-minded side. I can't remember when the turning point was. It was it was about a month before the COVID outbreak happened. They switched to four four two. They suddenly ditched the five four one. Let's just never have the ball and hope to hope to snatch something on the break. They suddenly became proactive and and they're a different proposition. And and it was the same against West Ham. I thought the front two caused caused the Hammers all sorts of problems. Wilson and Carroll and, and when you got Sam Maximan in, in the mix, Shelby suddenly looking a better player because he's playing in a team that's got people that want to run onto his passes. I'd be cautiously excited if I was a Magpies fan moving forward. It definitely feels like there's been a, a shift here. But Graham Potter is a very tactically astute manager and I'm, I have a feeling he, he'll, he'll look to negate, negate Newcastle's threats here. I like to think Steve Bruce bases his tactics on a sort of dice system where he has his three books. So sweeper, defender and striker. And wherever it lands, he, he bases the formation around that. So a lot of last season with a 5 for one it was landing on sweeper, you know, and a lot of defender. But then it suddenly had, he's had a run of strikers. And, uh, yeah, it's all looking good. So, and we should also remember that obviously these two teams came up together um, promoted from the Championship, the most socially distanced promoted pair in top flight history, 472 kilometres. So that's quite Good apt Lord. in these times. Hmm. Brighton's Ben White may be in doubt for this game. He hobbled off late in the clash with Chelsea, a game that, of course, Chelsea won, but Brighton did come away with uh, plenty of positives. A eh, Tom? Uh, not least Tarek Lamptey's performance. Yeah, Tyke Lamptey, who was absolutely sensational, a little super quick right back. Um, I was at uh, the Emirates at the end of December last year when he made his debut uh, for Chelsea, came on, uh, Arsenal were 1-0 up, uh, and I, I distinctly remember this big chorus of, of who from the Arsenal fans when his name was read out because Arsenal were, you know, had their tails up, uh, you know, brackets, narrator, they ended up losing, uh, <laughs> close brackets. Um, but Lamptey really caught the eye just because he's so quick and he's so direct. Um, uh, and also, and I, th I think it's one thing to have to have speed, but it's also the technical ability and the dexterity to be able to quickly get the ball under control and out of his feet. And we saw that um, in the game against Chelsea. Um, I thought he was probably the best player on the pitch. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I, I think for a team like Brighton to have an outlet like that from right back, um, is 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 a real plus, and it was it was interesting, sort of following the game on on Twitter and and seeing the comparisons between 
Tarek Lamptey, who Chelsea obviously let go in order to make room for Rhys James. Um, and given how well Lamptey was playing, there were a few Chelsea fans questioning the wisdom of that move, at which point Rhys James popped up and spanked one in the top right corner from 25 yards. But yeah, really, really enjoyed watching Lamptey. And I, I, think, he, I think he looks like he's going to be one of the real breakout players this season. I agree completely. Um, and I've got a lot of respect for players, young players that can see the bigger picture and they're prepared to take that leap of faith in themselves. Now, he was at Chelsea and he's a really good player. He knows he's a good player. We can see he's a good player, but he was sensible enough to think, I think they like Rhys James a little bit more than me. I think they see him as the, the future. And and even though it would have hurt him to, to admit that to himself and to leave Chelsea, he was bold enough to push for that move. And credit to him, he's found a place where you think he's going to be a regular. And it wouldn't surprise me if in, if over time those two were, were viewed as being equal, equally good players. Jaden Sancho did it, of course, at City. He, he looked at what was in front of him, thought, you know what? I'm not going to get that many games here and he, he made that, that move to Germany and it's paid off for him so um, yeah, it doesn't always work but um, but yeah well, well played to, to Lamptey for taking the leap Indeed Lamptey of course one of that extraordinary golden generation that we're presently inundated with of uh, English right backs uh, Daniel Storey actually following Monday's game making an England 11 uh, composed <laughs> entirely of current England right backs so he put uh, Justin in goal which you know okay fair enough you've got Reese James Carl Walker no, he goal, didn't put Carl Walker in he goal. Didn't this put was, this was in goal. the controversial move. Daniel actually acknowledging those complaints, saying the shouts for Carl Walker are fair, but defeatist. Don't focus on saving shots, focus on not allowing them. There As the only right back in the squad with any Champions League experience between the posts, I, I, I think you, you've got to look at Walker there. Mm. Basically, they are. It doesn't matter what position they're in, particularly. Maitland Niles, Aarons, Walker Peters, Lamptey. Ailing, Alexander Arnold, Trippier, Wambisaka, Walker, James, and Justin. And Daniel's contention is that with a proper keeper, or as you say, Carl Walker, uh, they would probably stay up. That, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I reckon sort of 15th. It's haunting when you think back to Euro 92 when England had to play Keith Curl at right back because we didn't have any. So, you know, how well, time is a cruel mistress. It's like London buses. Probably in the future they'll say it's like England right backs. Anyway, uh, Everton, West Brom and Leicester Burnley, the two games that we haven't uh, focused on yet. Is there something in particular you'd like to say? Perhaps the fact that Leicester Burnley will be free to air. It's going to be live on BBC One in that Sunday night slot, which back in uh, that kind of post-lockdown phase saw the biggest ever Premier League uh, audience uh, Southampton's 1-0 win over Man City, which drew 5.7 million. You're probably bored by this, listener. I'll, I'll move on. Uh, Burnley, their debut in the competition. I mean, that's interesting in the sense that Burnley, I feel like they've got the potential to, to really plummet the season. They've just got this bad feeling about Burnley. You know, they haven't really signed anyone. Sean Dyche kind of looked like he wanted to move on during mm. last season. Um, and I know we've said this before, but they, they do massively outperform their kind of underlying numbers. So at some point you think that's going to that's gonna come to an end. So it's, it's quite a big game for them. One point that Deitch made that I do sympathise with him on is uh, Dwight McNeil being overlooked by England mm. in the 21s, which I find baffling. I think he, he played, was it every single game last season yeah. for Burnley? And he's a real throwback, you know, a proper sort of, willowy, left-sided, left-footed player, um, but a perfect for Burnley in terms of his crossing ability. But I'm, I'm surprised that um, England didn't want to have a look at him there. All right. Uh, Everton, meantime, taking on West Brom and hoping to prove that last weekend's result at Tottenham wasn't a flash 
in the pan. Yeah, really impressive, weren't they? That that midfield unit look, looks mustard. I have to say for for Everton with with Alan and and Decoure in there, Rodriguez coming in off the other side. It was a very very good start for them. I just feel that that they might overwhelm West Bromwich Albion in, in the middle of the park. I thought in the game against Leicester, um, Sawyers and Livermore had a bit of a nightmare. They they, they weren't tracking runners. They were they were completely overwhelmed by by Leicester, and and they're coming up against an Everton engine room that that completely bossed Spurs. So so yeah, look out for that one. I, I think that I can see Everton winning that one quite quite handily. And and I was really chuffed for for Calvert Lewin. He, he went off the boil, didn't he? Post lockdown, I, I think he was really quiet. But for, for me, he's a really good target man. The sort of not heir apparent to Harry Kane, but a good stylistic backup. He's you know he's got he's a number nine that that's got more to his game. And I, I yeah, I want him to succeed. I'm willing him to 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 get better. And I think playing with with Rodriguez and and, and uh, Richarlison and the guys in behind now is going to make him better. He's also done it at New York Fashion Week, which I'm not sure Harry Kane ever has. <laughs> As I mentioned, uh, the two Monday games, Wolves Man City and Aston Villa Sheffield United, will be previewed in Monday morning's Totally Show. Still to come in today's edition, meanwhile, we've got some quite extraordinary European headlines, including who is Jiz Horncamp and more. Uh, but first, let's get some odds from Lee Price. Hello, darling listeners. I thought about doing a Kim Kardashian this week and going AWOL from this slot until I realised that not even I'd be bothered. So here I am with a fresh batch of numbers to chuck at you. Where better to start than the biggest fixture of the weekend? But the producers asked that I focus instead on Chelsea versus Liverpool. Badum tish. Uh, we make the champions favourites. Bold call there, lads. But they're not odds on. Cops men priced at 11 to 10 to win. Lampards at 21 to 10. Or, in non-computer code speak, that's relatively close. When it comes to the insight, I got you. Meanwhile, we heard earlier about David Moyes' terrible record at Arsenal. It's up there, Unai Emery's, isn't it? Harsh on one of them, probably. But I'm more concerned about Moyes' grooming habits. What's happened to his eyebrows? Is he overplucking? It's a difficult art form to judge, I know. West Ham, on the other hand, less tricky to make an assessment of. We make it 1-2 to two that Arsenal beat them this weekend. With the odds of a Hammers victory, 9-2. to two. Even that feels generous. And finally, I don't want to be the only person in the world not to mention Gareth Bale's potential Tottenham return. So while I've been pumping sardonic messages to every WhatsApp group that will have me, our trades have a slightly different tilt on things. They make it an extraordinary one to nine that Bale joins Tottenham during this transfer window. Less sure about this weird swap deal of Deli Alley, mind. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Europe midweek. Wow. Lots of big stories you need to know about, listener. Uh, oh, for a start, here's Alvaro Romeo flagging up an important day today. That is Thursday for Barcelona. Uh, it's the deadline today to get the signatures on a vote of no confidence against the current president Bartomeu and it looks like says Alvaro it will be close so that could uh, have a big impact on the Catalan giants uh, Dortmund meanwhile Jane Sancho and Jude Bellingham both started and scored for them in their German Cup win the Pokal at Duisburg on Monday it was the first time two English players had ever started for Dortmund or scored for them and Bellingham's goal because he's just 17 
made him the youngest scorer in the history of the club. Lovely to see that that's started well, his adventure there in the Ruhr. Have Dortmund retired his shirt number already? <laughs> <laughs> savage, savage stuff there from Duncan Alexander. In the Eredivisie, a man whose jersey is eminently retirable, Iron Robin made his return and then went off injured again only 28 minutes later uh, for the appropriately named Grunigan as they lost 3-1 to PSV. Also on the score sheet this week in the Eredivisie, Jiz Camp. Jiz Camp. Is he a long-haired, mellow baritone with an eye for the European game? I don't know, but I really hope so. Does anybody know anything more about Jiz Camp? Also, what's his porn star name? Is it something like Brian Jones? <laughs> <laughs> I deliberately didn't look him up because I just want his... I didn't want anything to tarnish the impact of his name. Uh, it, yeah, it popped up on my Twitter feed when he scored for Den Bosch the other night. And what a name. Right. It's up there with your, your naughty Nortes, your Mark Demands in the list of amusing footballer names. Also in that game, by the way, another name to conjure with, Sidney Van Hooydonk, son of Pierre, who uh, scored for Nack Breda in that match with Den Bosch. Nack Breda won. Benfica. This is a big story. Got knocked out of the Champions League preliminaries by Pauk Salonika on Tuesday, which is a bit of a setback given that this was supposed to be their season. They brought Jorge Jesus back from Brazil. This was actually his first match back with, with Benfica. They spent €80 million Euros in the summer as well, bringing in the likes of Jan Vertonghen, who popped up with an own goal, uh, unfortunately. While a player they released last week, uh, Andreas Zivkovic, scored what proved to be the winner for his new side, Salonika. My word, that must have been sweet. Tom. Meanwhile, in Ligue 1, or as it's now known, disappointingly, Ligue 1 Uber Eats, PSG got a win. Yes, at long last. So having lost their first two matches, uh, 1-0 at Lens and then 1-0 at home to Marseille in that stormy game at the weekend with all the red cards, uh, they were being held 0-0 at home by Metz going into stoppage time. They'd had a man sent off, Abdou Diallo. They'd lost Juan Bernat to injury and only had nine men on the pitch. Uh, and the knives were being sharpened for Thomas Tuchel when Julian Draxler popped up in stoppage time to head in the winner. So PSG finally off the mark um, and uh, Tuchel can breathe a little bit more easily than he would have done were it not Mm. for that. Um, And we've also had uh, the punishments um, for that uh, remarkable melee at the end of the PSG Marseille game announced Six-game ban for Levin Kurzawa, three-game ban for Jordan Amavi. Neymar and Leandro Paredes got two games each. There was a one-game ban for Dario Benedetto. Angel Di Maria is going to appear before the LFP uh, next week over allegations that he spat at Alvaro Gonzalez, who, uh, you'll all remember, was accused of racism by Neymar, uh, and the LFP have announced that they are going to investigate uh, Neymar's allegations. I mean, so far in the footage that has emerged of the clashes. There doesn't appear to be a smoking gun in terms of Neymar's accusations. Um, And what has also emerged, uh, or this came from Spanish TV, for backing up their boy Alvaro Gonzalez, is that Neymar may have used a homophobic insult uh, during his clash with Gonzalez. Um, So that one's going to rumble on for a little while longer. Gonzalez has some form, though. He previously had liked tweets by the Guardia Seville, which is a bit of a red flag for a lot of uh, Spanish <laughs> observers. And uh, I believe he also once told Messi he was too short. 
So, you know, abuse, that's in his locker. <laughs> that is very much in his locker. And he is, you know, Marseille's resident hard man. Um, obviously, if what he actually said to Neymar is, is proved to have been said, then he'll have the book thrown at him and, and his name will be will be tarnished forever by that. But the difficulty for Neymar and for PSG at the moment uh, is that despite all the, the cameras on the game and all the multiple camera angles, there, there isn't yet that we've seen uh, in the public domain any concrete evidence of it. Um, so that will be what the, the LFP uh, investigators will be looking for when they, when they have a look at the dossier. Well, Wednesday, a vital three points in their battle against relegation. Uh, they're going to be away at Nice Sunday lunchtime, or, or some of them are anyway. Duncan? Just thinking about the Di Maria bit of that uh, incident. Do you remember before 2020 when people used to say, oh, splitting's the worst thing you can do on a football pitch, and uh, and it wasn't, and now, now it actually is. Literally is. <laughs> uh, while we're on French football, Tom, while I've got you, um, I noticed that Arsenal target Hussein Awa w- was red-carded as well in the week. Now, my initial reaction was, oh, I hope his head's gone. I hope that it's, his head's not in the right space. He wants out. That that might have, have impacted on that on that call. Are there, is there any talk in regards to him um, and, and forcing a move out of Lyon? I mean, it was quite a soft red card. It, it didn't right. look like the action <laughs> okay. of, a, of a player who was who was dreaming of you know walking out at the Emirates. He sort of <laughs> left his foot in in an attempt to block the ball, and it was a bit of an orange one. Um, uh-huh. I mean, yeah, the expectation has long been Awa will leave this year, um, and pre-COVID, the sort of fees that were being talked about for him was sort of sixty million euros and above. Uh, and I think Leon would like to get as close to that as possible. I mean, that's what that's almost what they sold Tangi and Dombelli for. Uh, to Spurs last year um, but yeah you know Leon have got other options in that part of the pitch they're not playing European football this season so they don't need uh, a very deep squad uh, and you know th- they need to bring money in just like all clubs do in, in these uh, current challenging uh, economic circumstances so there's an acceptance at Leon that, that it's our time to go and I think they're just waiting for the right sort of bid to come in. Any other league points? Well we've talked about red cards already but there's I've never seen the the amount of red cards that there's been so far. There's been 21 in 29 games, which is a rate of like 0.72 per game. I mean, over the last sort of 13 seasons, league earners averaged 0.24 per game, which is pretty standard amongst most leagues. So, are, are refs on some sort of special bonus? Well, or? five of them came in in that. Uh Le Classique on, on, on Sunday, which would take the average down a bit if you take that out. Yeah, but still, the average would still be, I'm going to do it live, 0.57, which is t- still twice the, the normal rate. So yeah. There have been a lot of quite soft sendings off, and there have been a few where the match referee has originally given a yellow card and then been advised by the VAR to, to upgrade it. That was the case with, with Awar's one um, the mm. other day. One of those red cards, interestingly, went to Montpellier veteran Vitorino Hilton, um, who at the grand old age of 43 now was sent off for a foul on, on Lyon's 17-year-old starlet Ryan Cherki who was five months old when Hilton made his debut in Ligue 1 for Bastia in, in 2004. So a real clash of the generations with that one. Talking of uh, 43-year-olds, do we know who the oldest player to appear in the Premier League is who was also 43? John, John Burridge. <laughs> Uh, yeah, correct. Well done, lads. <laughs> On that note of uh, harmony, 
That's where we come to the end of today's Totally Football Show. Yes, there will be one along on Monday morning, rounding up all the weekend scores and looking forward to Monday evening's drama. But for now, it's a big salute to Adrian Clark, Duncan Alexander, Tom Williams. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, listener, for joining us today. Have a great weekend and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.